If you would, take your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've seen that Jesus is in the time frame of his life where he's in great conflict. Uh, there's great conflict between uh, him uh, and the Pharisees because he's not following the uh, religion of the day, the religion of the Pharisees. And back in, in chapter 8, he was in the temple uh, there uh, teaching, and they brought this woman to Christ, and they were ready to stone him there at the beginning of chapter 8. And then by the time we come to the end of chapter 8, uh, Jesus has said that he is the light of the world. And in verse 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am, basically claiming his deity, and they now want to stone him as well. But we see there at the last verse that Christ walks out from among them unharmed because it wasn't God's appointed time for him to die. Now we come to chapter number nine and we see that Christ in verse one passes by a man that was blind since birth. Now most Bible scholars believe that the time frame between the end of chapter eight and here in chapter nine uh, is very close. Maybe we even uh, within a day or days, uh, days apart. Uh, but here in chapter 9, we have the sixth sign out of the seven that John gives us. Remember, he tells us there in chapter 20 that I'm giving you these signs that you might know Jesus and believe on him and believing have eternal life. And so the sixth miracle, the sixth sign that we're given is the healing of the blind man. Leon Morris, who's written many books on the Bible, and he says there are more miracles of the giving of the sight to the blind recorded of Jesus than healings in any other category. And he lists them out, Matthew chapter 9, chapter 12, chapter 15, Mark 8, Mark 10, so on and so forth. He goes on to say, in the Old Testament, the giving of sight to the blind is associated with God himself there in Exodus chapter 4, and then in the 146th Psalm as well. It is also a messianic activity in the book of Isaiah. And this may be its significance in the New Testament. It is a divine function, a function for God's own Messiah that Jesus fulfills when he gives sight to the blind. And so Jesus' miracles are pointing again to his deity and the fact that he is God. Now when we come to this section in John chapter 9, there are some great eternal truths that I want you to see today, but there's also some practical truths, some practical applications for our everyday lives I don't want you to miss as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump right in. Father, again, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for our home in heaven one day, for those of us that are in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray today that if there's somebody that is here, somebody that hears this on uh, media, whether it's TV or whether it's radio or online, Lord, that you would use your word in their hearts and lives if they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But for those of us that are Christians, Lord, help us to understand our purpose, our responsibility as believers here in this day, looking forward to that time when we stand before you and we hear those words well done. Father, I pray that you'd convict us and challenge us in our own walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it's amazing when we look around or we look at a certain situation, uh, we all have different perspectives. You, they always say that when you see an accident and you can have people in all four corners of the accident and you're going to uh, get their witness statements, you're going to hear a different uh, tale, a different story about what happened because everybody has their different perspectives. And when we go through this life, there's a lot of things that impact our perspective um, when we see certain situations 
situations, unfortunately, uh, when we look at people, we're quick to judge and we have our perspective about who they are and what they're like and where they come from and all of those sort of things. When we come to John chapter 9, we see, first of all, three perspectives. And I want us to look at these perspectives this morning. We see three perspectives that oftentimes we can find ourselves falling in. So number one, we have the perspective of the disciples. Verses one through five, it says, And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now this is the only miracle recorded in the Bible where we are told that the person had the condition from birth. And so the disciples look at this man as they walk by and they automatically believe that this man or his parents had sinned. Have you ever looked at somebody's life and just judged them? You just, you know, just look at them. And, and so the phrase that we get today says, you know, don't judge a, a what? A book by its cover, because it's natural in our human nature, in our flesh, to look at somebody and based on whatever criteria, we begin to judge them. And so the disciples do the same thing here. Now, their question to Jesus reflected a popular teaching of that day. Unfortunately, many Jews believed in prenatal sins or even the preexistence of the soul, and others, unfortunately, even believed in the concept of reincarnation. And so the question here um, that they're asking is, would be a popular question in that day. Now, when we come to verses three and four, we see Jesus's response. Now, there's some question about what Jesus is saying here in these verses. As you go back to uh, the Greek language, there is no punctuation. And so some believe that there should be a period after what Jesus says, neither this man and his parents. So look back with me. So it would read, Jesus answered, neither have this man sinned nor his parents. And so that would be the end of the statement. And so then he would start another statement, which he says, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. And so I don't know how it really is supposed to lay out, but I do understand what Christ is saying. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, despite our judgment, but based on his condition, I have now the opportunity to do a work in his life where God the Father is going to be glorified through me, but also, I'm also going to be able to show my deity once again. So many of us are just like these disciples. We see people and we judge them. Isn't it amazing how we see ourselves in such a good light? Like even our flaws, we have a hard time really believing that we have these flaws and, or, or we justify them. Like it's not our fault or, or something like that or people should just get over it even though we struggle getting over other people's flaws and failures and issues in their, in this li- in their life. And so we see here these disciples do this. You know, this really, uh, it's amazing, you know, how bad we are when it comes to this issue. And this illustrates the point that we really don't know people. 
You know, we really don't know people when we look at them. We don't know what they're going through or what they've been through or, or where they come from. You know, have you ever had somebody, you know, jump into the middle of your conversation and like they're way off base. My kids do that. You know, my wife and I will be talking and one of my boys, you know, or my daughter, they'll jump in and they'll start giving their two cents on it. And we'll look at them and like, you don't even know what we're talking about. Like, it's not even the issue that we're dealing with here. So just be quiet, stay out of our conversation and go in the other room, right? We have people that do that all the time and we do the same thing. We think, okay, we know the answers and we're not, we're not getting all the facts and all of the situation and we want to give our opinion about things. You know, I love when Pastor Stein and I go out to pastor's things and stuff like that. He and I will walk in to, if they don't know us or they don't know me, and particularly early on when I was the pastor, became the pastor here, we would walk in into a pastor's fellowship and people would ask if I was the youth pastor at Grace Baptist Church. And if, he was, if I was his assistant pastor at Grace Baptist Church. You know, just based on looking at us, he is more distinguished, another way to say he's older or old, and I am younger. And so based on just looking at us, they, they just have this perception of what our positions are or whatever. And then Pastor Stein would always graciously say, no, this is Pastor Stevens. He's our senior pastor. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're the greatest thing ever. Hey, welcome. You know, and you're the boss, not him, right? And so now they want to talk to me and not him. It's just amazing where our mind goes oftentimes. You know, sometimes we do have to face consequences because of our actions. Let's be honest. Some, people, some of the things we go through is because we make dumb decisions in our life. We make sinful decisions. We put our flesh over our spiritual um, many times, and we have to deal with the consequences of that. Other times, we have to deal with consequences because of other people's situations, but sometimes it's just the way life is. It's just the way life is, and we have to be very careful on how we judge people you know, and, and we hear a lot about that in our society today. Hey, let's be honest. We should never judge people based on the color of their skin. And yet we find people doing that over and over and over in our society today. And that should never be the way that a Christian reacts. We should never judge people based on the family that they come from. We, we don't know what God is going to do in them or through them or how he's going to use them. You know, but we, sometimes we, we kind of favor those people that have a little more wealth than people that, that don't. You know, as a believer, we should never do that. In James, God even gives us a chapter dealing with that and, and how we should not favor those that have material things in this world over those that are, that are poor. But it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to look at people and, and judge them based on what we think we know about them. And so the disciples had this question to Jesus, and they say, so who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus simply says, neither but guess what? During, through this situation, I'm going to have the wonderful opportunity to glorify God through this. And you know, that's true about everybody's life. Every one of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've been through, no matter what our background is, God has the opportunity to be glorified through our life. You know, some people will look at my life and, and they hear my story and they say, wow, it's an amazing testimony and, and how God has worked in your life. And that's true. God's, God has been so gracious to me in my life and where he's brought me from and the opportunities that he's given me. But the same thing is true for you in your life. If God saved you, it's by his grace and he's been so gracious in your life. And you now have the opportunity to glorify him by the way that you live and by the way that you talk and, and by how you conduct yourself in this world and, and how you invest in the lives of, of other people. 
And so don't be quick to judge. It was a Sunday school teacher that realized that D.L. Moody needed to trust Christ as his savior. Probably others wrote him off, but he made it a point to go visit him and led him to Jesus Christ. And he saw the impact. You know, somebody led Charles Spurgeon to the Lord and John Wesley and, and others, they went and they, they invested in the lives of these people. We never know. We never know the opportunities that we have. But we do have the opportunity to glorify God through our life. No matter what our background is, no matter what our heritage is, no matter what we've been through or have come through, God can use every situation and every circumstance for his glory and for his honor. And so number one, we see the perspective of these disciples. Then in verse um, six through 12, we see the perspective of, of some, or we read here, the neighbors, the neighbors. Isn't it interesting, the neighbors? I like that word here. Look with me at verse six. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made the clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which being the interpretation sent, he went away, his way, excuse me, therefore, and washed and came seen. Then in verse eight, the neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes Opened. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. And so here Jesus has this blind man and he shows his disciples how his healing power and, and his ability to give sight to the blind man. He spits on the ground and makes this clay and puts it on his uh, eyes. And there's all kinds of speculation on why he spit in the clay and all that. And I have no idea why he did it this way. I just know that's how he did it. And he gave sight to the blind man when he went and washed. And now he comes back and all of the neighbors, all of the neighbors, all right, they see this man and they're like, wait a minute, this man... This man, is this the man? And some begin to question, this really can't be him. This really can't be him because he's not blind anymore. You know, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we'll talk about this more in just a moment, you know, God changes our life and he basically gives sight to the spiritually blind. And, and the Bible says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're, we're a new creature and so somebody will get saved and they'll come down to the church and tell people, hey, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And, and this is what a lot of religious people will do. We'll see. We'll see if he really meant it. We'll see if it's, really, if it's really true. Instead of saying, hey, praise the Lord that you trusted Christ as your Savior. How can we be a help to you and an encouragement to you in your walk? Because guess what? The greatest of, uh, the greatest of us have been saved by the grace of God. And even after our salvation, guess what? We fell and we struggled. But we look at people and we doubt. Yeah, we'll see if it's, if it's really true. And we kind of put the pressure on them to be perfect. And then they mess up and say, see, they really didn't mean it. They really didn't believe it. And again, we go back to our perception. But the truth is, is if we were honest with ourselves, every one of us that has accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior has fallen and struggled. 
And that's why the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice that that, ver- that verse says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. Now, not they are faithful because they're often not willing to forgive us of our sins. They want to hold it over our head, but he is faithful. And so we see here these, these neighbors that knew him, they doubt this can't be him. This really can't be him. There really can't be this change. And so, and so what does he say? I am he. All I can tell you is what happened to me in my life. That's all I can tell you. I can't tell you what's going to happen going forward, but all I can tell you is what Jesus did in my life. And that's what he says. Hey, who did this to you? How did you get your sight? It was a man named Jesus. Now, realize Jesus was pretty popular at this time. It wasn't as if these crowds and multitudes didn't know the name of Jesus. He had been uh, making waves for some time now, and there was his reputation was going all throughout the nation of Israel. And so they say to him, okay, who is he? What did he do? Now, where is he? But yet they struggled to see. We have to oftentimes see to believe, don't we? We struggle to live by faith, and, and we have to see to believe, and that's kind of their idea. We want to we see this Jesus. We want to we meet him. We don't believe this really happened. Really, uh, are, are you really the person? And there's all this doubt going on. But probably the biggest section and most important section here is the perspective of the Pharisees in verses 13 through 34. The first issue with the Pharisees we see in verses 21, or excuse me, um, verses 13 through 17 is the fact that Jesus broke the Sabbath again. And this was the, what has caused all this trouble and friction with Jesus and these religious leaders. It says in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And so they, these people struggled with this uh, blind man being healed. And so they said, okay, we're going to take you now to the religious leaders. And they bring him to the Pharisees. In verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And so the issue here we see from their perspective is Jesus healed this man again on the Sabbath day. Realize that he did not break the Sabbath day. He broke their Sabbath day. He did not break God's Sabbath day, but he broke their Sabbath day and went against their man-made religion. And so they missed the whole point of the healing and the fact that Jesus is God. It's always fighting. It's always questioning because you're not doing it my way. You're not following our rules. You're not following our laws. And that is their perspective in life. You know, we kind of all have this idea of what, um, of what a Christian's life should look like. It's funny because on one side, we preach in the concept of sanctification and progressive sanctification. 
And so when I got saved, God changed me and I am a new creature and old things are passed away and all things are become new. But the truth is I still battle with my flesh. I still live in this world. and I still live in this earthly body. And we talk about this growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talk about becoming more like Christ. So every time we come to church and hear the preaching of God's word, our desire should be to be more like Christ. When we get up in the morning or in the evening, we study the Bible. Our desire should be to, to be more like Christ. But you know, when somebody says, hey, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, we know that they're going to have to grow, but we kind of have this idea of sinless perfection or this expectation of sinless perfection. That's kind of what the standard that we put up. And we hold people accountable for everything that we already know and have grown in instead of helping them come along the path. And so we ridicule them and we persecute them and we, we judge them. And hey, listen, I'm not as spiritual as some as you are and some of you aren't as spiritual as, as I am. And the, rea- the difference is, is how we've grown in our walk with, with Jesus Christ. I've told you that before, you know, as the pastor, I'm not the most spiritual person here. I have the title of pastor because you voted me in, not because I'm the most spiritual person here. There's some of you that have been saved for 40, 50, you know, 60 years. Some of you have been saved longer and walked with God longer than I've even lived on this earth. And so you've had more time to become more like Christ and God has done these things in your life. But it's amazing the expectations that we put on people based on our own rules and standards and and expectations. And I'm grateful for those that have, you know, guided me and guarded me and protected me and taught me. And when I failed, they were there to to forgive me and pick me up, as the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. I'm so grateful for the people that have done that in my life. But there's been hurts along the way, just like I'm sure that you've had, where people have, you know, basically written you off and forsaken you because you weren't what they expected you to be. And it's amazing, you know, how different we are, too. Some of us are more hard-headed than others. And it takes a little longer and uh, it's a little more difficult to get them where they are. But these Pharisees had their own rules, their own laws, and that's what they were judging Christ on at this time. Their perspective was totally off. And so we had the perspective of the Sabbath, and then we see their doubt in verse number 18. It says, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his par- the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. And so we see then, number two, the secondly of their perspective is this idea of doubt. You know, it didn't, really didn't matter it really didn't matter what they did. These Pharisees weren't going to believe them. And I found in life, you know, I try to, you know, I try to, to appease people that no matter what I'm going to do, they, they just, they don't like me. And they, they, they're just going to be, you know, against me. And they're, they're just going to be that way. They're stuck in their ways. And, you know, sometimes we let that bother us. And listen, I want to tell you today, there's always going to be foolish people out there that you're going to come into contact with. And you can't let them determine your life and your walk with God. And listen, their perspective really does not supersede God's perspective. And you know your heart and life between you and God. And there's going to be just some people that just going to, they're, they're going to doubt you. That's just the reality of life. And you don't have to, anything to prove to them. What you have to do is live for God. And get in the Bible and know what God expects for you and do it despite what men think. 
because you're never going to meet their perfect standard. That's just the reality of life. You know, there are people all the time that just, you know, that I'm never going to appease, and I have to come to the grips with that. But, you know, we, we let people's opinion bother us. Don't do that, all right? Don't do that, because there's always going to be people that have the wrong opinion about you. You know your life. Listen, if you're wrong, then get right. If you're living the wrong life, then get, what, get right. If you know you're contrary to what God's word says, then stop it and start following God's word. But you can't be listening to every person because what's gonna happen is you're gonna go crazy because there's a guy over here who thinks you should do one thing and then there's a lady over here who thinks you should do the exact opposite. And you're gonna go insane at trying to appease both of those people. And so what we have to do is come to the word of God and say, this is what God wants for me in my life. And this is what I'm going to do. Because there's always going to be those doubters out there in life. And then we see the third thing here on their perspective is this idea of contempt. Look at verse 24. Then again, called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind and I see. Then said they to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already. I think I jumped ahead. Excuse me. Go back to 24. Then again, they called. Yeah, that's right. Man, I'm totally messed up. All right, here we go. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then, verse 28 is what I was looking for, they reviled him. Then they reviled him. Here was a man who this great thing happened to, and these religious leaders, instead of supporting him and encouraging him, there was contempt for him. You'll see in the parents' life, they, they don't want to speak out because they're afraid that they're going to be put out of, of the synagogue and be judged and persecuted. You know, the sad truth is, is there are many people that don't come to Christ because they're afraid their families are going to put them out. That's a real thing in our society, in our world today. Many different religions. There are people that trust Christ and won't take the step of believer's baptism because their parents say, if you're baptized you know, in the Christian faith, then you're, we will disown you. That stuff happens all the time. Do you know the church should never treat people that way? We sang that song about heaven being our home and going to a place that we belong Hey, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we belong in the church. We're part of the body of Christ. And the church should be a place where we come and, and we're supported. Now, we don't support sin, and we don't wink at it, and we don't turn a blind eye to it, but we need to help people deal with their sin. We believe in church discipline, but most people have a wrong perspective about what church discipline is. Most people think we bring you up to the front and we beat you with a stick and throw you out into the parking lot and tell you not to come back. And that's church discipline. Um, but that's not church discipline. People ask me all the time, do you practice church discipline? We never see you practice church discipline in your church. And, and because, listen, the last step is to bring people before the church. The point of, ch of church discipline is restoration. And to go to a brother or sister in Christ and, and, and confront them about their sin. And, and then take two or three witnesses. And then take them before the, the elders. And, and then it goes to the church if they're not willing to repent. But listen, 99 out of 100 times, probably 999 out of 1,000 times, we never get to that point. If church discipline is practiced right, people are restored. 
and they're helped and they're encouraged in their faith. But here, listen, you're not doing it our way. You're out of here, buddy. We don't want anything to do with you. And they, they revile this man. And there's contempt for what he believed. And we come to verse 28 and 29, and we see the problem that causes this perception, this perspective in their life. Look at verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple. But get what they say. But we, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The issue is that they were still holding on to the law. They were still holding on to the law. They were consumed with Moses and the Mosaic law instead of the grace of God and the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. We hold on to the law of Moses. And then we read on there in verse number 30, the man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if a man be a worshiper of God and doth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. And here is the biggest issue in that last verse. Who do you think you are to try to teach us? Don't you realize we have all the answers? And they totally disregarded this man. Hey, let's be honest. I've been taught by a lot of people in my life. Some of them have been college professors. Some of them have been pastors. But some of them are sitting right down here and they're seven and, 12 and, th- seven and 13 years old. Some of them have been people in the community that have taught me great truths, that have never had a Bible class, that have no degrees, and God used them. And see, when we come to the place where we believe we have all the answers and we know everything and what's best for everybody, our perception, our perspective gets a little skewed in life. And we have to understand that. Hey, everything that we believe and everything that we teach must come from the Bible. And we must be able to back it up with the Bible. And not our preferences. And listen, I have preferences and I have beliefs and I have biblical, I have principles that I apply to my life that I believe are based off of the scriptures and biblical principles in my life. But I have to be honest with you, some things I just make an opinion on. And I teach my kids that, and we follow those biblical principles, and some people do things a little bit differently. And that's okay. But when we come to the place where we have all the answers for everybody, then we get a little skewed in our thinking. And that's where these folks were. Hey, we know what's right because we have set up all of these Sabbath rules, and he broke our Sabbath. And he's not doing what we expect him to do. And and therefore, listen, their minds were so skewed, they were never going to listen to God. They were never going to listen to truth. And there's some Christians, unfortunately, that do the same thing in our world today. They don't want to hear truth. They just want everything done the way that they believe it should be done, everything that they know it should be. And we have to be very careful when it comes to that problem. So we see three perspectives here with the disciples who judged without even knowing. 
We see the neighbors who had doubt and were skeptics. And we see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who judged based solely on their thinking and not, not the word of God. Number two, then we see our problem. Our problem. Kevin, will you come up here for just a second? We are going to go a little long today. Because I have three points and I really want to get to them all. If you can lead us in singing amazing. I'm not allowed to sing publicly. That's why I had him do it. So, you know, that's a song that we sing quite often in our church. We used to sing it every week. And, um, you know, people in the world sing that song, but we truly don't understand the meaning of that song. I mean, many secular people sing it. You can even hear it in movies from Hollywood, but they don't understand the meaning of that. At the end of that verse, it says, I was blind, but now I see. And that song is pointing us back to the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is making a point here in this passage. I am the only one that can heal this blind man. And so is true. Listen, we are spiritually blind without Jesus Christ. That is our problem. That's what we have to, to come to understand today. Only Jesus can open our blinded eyes, but we're so stubborn. We're so stubborn to, to listen. I wonder if Jesus came to you and said, hey, I'm going to spit on the ground. I know you're blind. I'm going to spit on the ground. I'm going to make some clay, and I'm going to put it on your eyes, and if you'll go to this pool of water, and you'll wash it off, you'll be able to see. I wonder how many of us would, by faith, listen to him. And now we sit here, and we say, oh, I would do it. I would do it. If I was blind and he came to me, I would do it. And yet, many might be sitting here today that you're lost in your sins and you're blind spiritually. And Jesus says, listen, by faith, you can receive the grace of God that makes you be able to see spiritually, that opens your eyes and gives you eternal life. You see, our perspectives are skewed, but our problem is that we are dead in our sins and we are spiritually blind. That is the greatest issue that you have in your life. That is the greatest need that you have, and that's why as a church, our focus is to preach the gospel because that's what gives you sight spiritually. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, now maybe you're a judgmental person, that's a problem. Maybe you're a person that doubts. That's a problem. Maybe you have your religious order, but, and that's what you're following. That is a problem. But your greatest problem, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, no matter how good you think you are, you are spiritually blind. And Christ and Christ alone is, that, is the only one that can give you sight spiritually. And there's so many different pictures in the Bible that talks about being in your sins and spiritually dead and spiritually blind. And here Christ is trying to show them 
Only through him could this man receive sight. Only through God. Hey, it's not the works of men. It's the work of God. And God sent Jesus Christ to be the payment for your sin. And he died on the cross for you. And if you'll receive him as your savior, and that's why John is writing this whole book. If you will know Jesus and received his free gift of salvation, he will give you life and give you sight and give you forgiveness of sin and make you a part of the family of God that your home will be with God for all eternity. And then number three, our purpose. Jesus tells us here at the beginning of this passage here that he was here to do the work of God. Uh, here in verses four and five, I must work the works of them of him that sent me while it is day. And so Jesus came to do the work of God. Remember, he came to, to seek and to save. He came to minister and not to be ministered unto. He came to be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ came to do the work of God. And he says, now is my time to do the Father's work while I'm here because there's gonna come a time when I'm gonna go to the cross and I'm not going to be here anymore. And that happened. He went to the cross and he was placed in the tomb and he rose again and he ultimately ascended to heaven. And now he works in this world through those of us that are believers. He tells us that he is the light of the world, but then he goes on to tell us in the Bible that we are going to be the light of the world. And I want to read several verses to you and, I, and that apply to us on a day-to-day -day basis practically. Listen to what the Bible tells us. In John chapter 8, verse 12 he spake, excuse me, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so when we accept Christ as our Savior, we have the light of life. Then in John chapter 9, our passage here, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So as long as I am here, I am the light of the world. And I am the one that's giving light to others. And then in Matthew chapter four, 5, excuse me, verse 14 through 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen to Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness... Okay, without Christ, you were darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. So in Christ, when we receive him, we're placed in Christ and we are light in the Lord. So then he says, walk as children of light. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, we were darkness, but now we're light in Jesus Christ. Now we're to show forth through our works, through our life, the fact that we are saved. And then Philippians chapter two, verse 13 through 15. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then he says in verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We live in a dark world. We live in a dark world 
And we are called to be the light of Christ that shines in this world. That is our purpose. Now, in this time of year, we see many lights that are going to go up in our community. And they're going to show, shine bright here in our society. And many people, without even understanding, are going to celebrate the birth of Christ by putting up Christmas lights, yet they live in darkness. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, are the light that is to shine in this dark world. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's our purpose. Shine, shine, shine as the light of Christ. Everything that we do should be a light that shines for Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. And can I tell you today, the world's getting darker and darker and it needs Christians to shine brighter and brighter as the light of Christ. The disciples had a terrible perspective. Who, who sinned? This man or his parents? And in the midst of that, Christ says, I want to teach you something. I am the light of the world, and I can bring healing to the blind. And so Christ is the light of the world. He can bring salvation to the lost and open the eyes of the spiritually blind. But he's called us to go to this world that doubts and questions and are skeptics and shines. And yet we see that the lights are getting dimmer and dimmer. Christians are quieter and quieter when we should be brighter and brighter, louder and louder for the cause of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a crooked and perverse nation, a crooked and perverse world that needs us. And he says, therefore, go and shine. Go and shine with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we have the right perspective, understanding who we are in Christ, and go to the world. Not judging them for the sin that they're in, understanding that's who we were. But now, as the light of Christ, we're taking the same gospel that we received to them so that they can receive the salvation that God offers.